Hey, it's Jay. And in my creative career, I've encountered two skills that loom largest. In other words, they help almost every project with very few exceptions. They are hard won. They are things you practice and they are things that are incredibly nuanced. It's not like just do these two things, seven tips and tricks, the one simple secret. I can teach you to be amazing at this. No, that doesn't exist. It's a craft. These skills are practiced. They are as follows and in order, by the way. Number one, writing. Writing informs everything, the way you communicate, the way I draft keynote speeches, openings like this one, episode structures with my producers, Sheree and Andrea, uh, on and on and on. And of course, things that are actually text-based written projects. So number one is writing. But number two is interviewing. I don't mean interviewing people to hire them, although that actually does apply. I think I'm a better interviewer of talent when I'm hiring, say, contractors and freelancers because I'm a professional interviewer in some ways. But the craft of interviewing, asking the right questions, listening well, asking the right follow-ups, and the environment you create, because it's not just about the questions, it's about the environment conducive to a great conversation, great answers, that is a hard-won skill. I've used the analogy of it being like a dance. You're trying to be a great dance partner. It's not a straight march forward. There's lots of little moves, some expected, some just in the moment. And so I think I really wanted to dive into this a little bit more so with a dedicated episode. We've done a couple that have danced around the art of the interview, deconstructing a show that is a great interview show, for example. The episode with Ryan Hawk of The Learning Leader Show comes to mind. But today we're doing a bonus type of episode where we're mixing up the format and we're bringing back a guest that people said they loved because of the way she articulates this craft, the way she teaches it to other people. So I can't wait to dive into this, another bonus episode, this time about one of the most important creative skills, the interview. I want to know how you do the things you do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. Welcome to Three Clips. I am Jay Akunzo, and as always, I believe that great creative projects always unfold in the micro, the tiny techniques, the hidden moments, the refreshing wrinkles that the creative team or individual behind a project use to make something that we love. That's what makes great podcasts. And so on this show, we have some of our favorite podcasters join us and break down their favorite projects. Today, we're mixing things up. We're going to introduce it a little bit more fully in a bit, but we're going to talk to Kristen LaFrance. Kristen is a content marketer and creator at the brand Shopify, and she runs their podcast, Resilient Retail, which is a show for retailers. Kristen is one of my favorite interviewers, uh, not because I listen to her show, it's not really for me, but because every time we swap tweets or DMs or emails or yes, have her on three clips, which we have before, we go really deep into the craft of interviewing. I think she's... She's a wonderful communicator as a performer, but she's also a wonderful teacher of this craft. So I can't wait to get into this. We're mixing things up. It's not going to be the same type of interview. We are going to use some clips, but I'll leave it at that. Let's head into my conversation with Kristen. Okay, so I've been wanting to do this with you for a while, Kristen. We go back and forth on Twitter a lot about the art of the interview, about podcasting, and you're somebody who just opens up every single little behind the scenes moment of your work and says, what would be helpful? And I see you put out calls all the time. Like I'm feeling 
show running and podcasting this week. What questions can I answer? And I thought it's time to actually do an episode with that same vibe. So here's how we're going to do it for you, the listener. Kristen and I have taken some time to listen to lots of our favorite interview shows, and we've each picked out three clips. So there's six total clips. So welcome to the first ever episode of Six Clips. Um, But we each have a clip. And the way we're going to run this is we'll, we'll alternate. We'll each go. We'll each take a turn. Whoever's clip it is, we'll tee it up so the listener knows what they're in for. We'll play the clip. And then we'll come back and the same person who presented the clip will just give a little context as to why we pulled it and we'll riff on it ever so slightly and then move on to the next clip because we got a lot to get to. Sound good? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Kristen, as our esteemed guest today, I thought I would hand it over to you. What what is the first clip you'd like us to play? And uh, just give us a little context on maybe the show and or your relationship to the show and yeah. certainly the episode. So we know what we're about to hear because it's kind of pulled out of context. Yeah. So for my first clip, uh, I don't think anybody who knows me is going to be surprised by this, but uh, Dak Shepard's podcast Armchair Expert and his guest on this episode is Hillary Clinton. The show Armchair Expert is one of my favorite podcast entertainment pieces of content just at all on any format. And a lot of it has to do with Dax as a host. Actually, he's kind of the the one podcast host that I really look to as kind of a guide and someone that I almost crafted my style around because, you know, with Armchair Expert, he has all these guests who have been on lots of shows, been on lots of podcasts. It's celebrities, it's experts, it's, uh, you know, I don't know, Hillary Clinton, and he's had Bill Gates. And so these are people that have been on a lot of shows and can kind of get into that. Uh, we've talked about it before where they start saying the same answers to every question. Yeah. And yet Dax does this incredible job of making people seem even more interesting than they already are because he gets them to talk about things that are so human. And he, as a, as a host, is so relatable. So this is very early in the interview. Actually, one of the first questions he asked, one of the first back and forth that they have. And uh, I think it's just the perfect example of why he's such a fantastic host. Awesome. Let's go to the clip. I have not heard this clip. You have not heard any of mine. So that's another little level of intrigue. So I'm hearing it alongside the listener for the very first time. Let's hit the clip. Okay, so I want to get something that you will not like out of the way right away. Just because oh, okay. I, I know you won't like it, and let's get it. It's, <laughs> it's our homework. Let's get it done so we can watch Netflix and chill. <laughs> I've been just binging both the documentary. I re-listened to your Stern interview. I've been listening to you a lot. And I think we share this in common. You hate compliments. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> me too! <laughs> it makes me kind of cringe. Yeah, I'm not good at it, and I have tried to get better. You know, yeah. I, I used to be one of those people that would always parry them and no, oh, no, no, you know, no, well, that was not that hard or this was not that, you know, like you see. And then people said to me, you know, come on, accept the compliment. I don't know. OK. Yes. But do you think that's a female thing? Like where we're. Well, I have it, too. I was going to relate to her. Well, you're a female. Oh, yeah, anyways. OK, that's true. Um, you know, you're trained to downplay. Right. I think, Monica, you know, deflect. You're supposed to be deflecting away from yourself all the time. We may have, all three of us have that in common. Well, what's weird yeah. is all I want is praise. I've had a very extroverted life and I was in search of great adulation. So it's very weird that when it then comes my way, I guess what I feel like is on Christmas morning when someone's staring at you as you open their present and you're just panicked, <laughs> you're not going to give the right reaction to the present. I don't know what to say to sound gracious. 
Well, that I've had to practice though. I really recommend it to you. Yeah, please. <laughs> Just practice because if you can get, oh, thank you, or thank you so much, <laughs> you're done. You don't have to say anything else. And actually it kind of releases some of the pent up anxiety about is the gift going to be received well? Is your performance going to be approved of? Whatever it is you're angsting over. So yeah, just practice saying, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I guess then I feel arrogant. All right. So Kristen, I have, uh, there's something I noticed about that that I really want to bring up. But before I do, what did you notice that caused you to pull that clip? Yeah, so there's a couple things that are going on here. First of all, it like I mentioned, very beginning of the episode, and Dax is just getting something out of the way with a guest. Um, on you and I's three clips interview where I talked about resilient, we talked about letting the guest in on the game and like letting them know, like, hey, you're here and this is what's going on. I think Dax is doing this with Hillary Clinton, where he's saying, "All right, we're just going to get this out of the way. I got to give you the compliments. I have to tell you this because you are you." And we're just going to do it. But then he takes it a step further and he humanizes the guest. He gives her an opportunity to say, okay, you can start this interview by talking about something that is universally human, that whether someone agrees with you politically or personally, they can kind of kind of relate to you in this moment. I think all of us have had that thing where someone gives us a compliment and you're like, ah, thank you. And so to, to start this interview off with Hillary Clinton saying like, oh yeah, even I go through that and I'm Hillary Clinton, I think just puts this whole interview off onto a great foot. It's also really setting the energy for the interview for both the guests and the listeners. Whereas Dax is saying, here's what you're going to expect out of this interview. And it's going to be back and forth. It's going to be dynamic. It's going to be what you haven't heard before. And then something that I don't think gets a lot of enough credit in armchair expert is actually Monica Padman. Um, She comes in and adds this, this level of perspective that Dax knows he can't give his listeners because he is not a woman and he is a white man. And you hear it right in this clip where she comes in and it says, okay, Dax, like whatever, I hear that you think this is your problem too, but doesn't this have something to do with this perspective? And I think all of that put together and like whatever that is less than two minutes, it's like the sum of why that show is so powerful right there. Oh, those are all really good. I, and some of my had noticed the thing, the thing that started with me and maybe, you know, you, the listener can relate because some people listening probably have the same reaction is when Dax started by saying like, you're terrible at taking compliments. I immediately went, Oh, classic politician. Like let's <laughs> fake being humble or like, let's, you know, and it's like, and Dax is kind of pandering to that. And here comes Hillary and she's going to say like, yeah, I'm lousy at it. I don't think that highly of myself when like, the ego you must have to have to run for president of the United States. I don't care what your affiliation (laughs) is. I don't care how much you genuinely want to help people. You all have insane egos. So like you're used to and probably want compliments. Yeah. Spoken as somebody who wants compliments. Yeah. I mean, we both host podcasts that we live for compliments. right? So I started out with an immediate reaction that was like, Oh, I don't know. But then, you know, through self-deprecating humor, through, yeah, tossing to his co-host, it did kind of like reset back to reality where I'm like, all right, there is a little bit something here. And also just the ability, and I think this is an overlooked type of question to say, you know, I did the research and, and here's like a through line or something that kept coming up. Talk about it. Yep. It's an underutilized type of question. 
Uh, especially because, like you said, it's early. If he can start to peel the layers back a little bit more, because yes, you mentioned it three or four times, Kristen, in your public appearances, but I kind of want to go deeper there because the thread was appearing in all these other podcast interviews you did, but I want to pull the thread. Like that's another really great thing to do is like, I noticed it and also want to dive deeper into it or pursue it from a different angle here. So it's, yeah. it's a really underrated form of, of interview, interview question. Yeah. And it's a combination of both setting the guest up for success by Dax is going right off the bat. I did this much research, so I'm coming with questions and I know a lot about you. So like, get ready to go deep with me. But he's also setting it up for the listener too, saying, I have done my research to have a conversation that is worth you sticking around for. And I think that is something that just shows right off the bat, like, hey, this is not just about Hillary Clinton's X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go straight for the gut right away because I want to get something deeper out of the threads that I know I can pull. And, and there is a little bit of misdirection. He raises some intrigue, but then also gives you a misdirection where he's saying like, you're not going to like it. I'm going to mm-hmm. start here. You're not going to like it. So intrigue certainly being built, which causes the listener to want to stick and stay. Yeah. Um, so the interview right away does not fall flat. And then I think everyone's thinking, oh, he's going to something Trump related. Yeah. Like right away. And of course yeah. he does not do that. So I, I appreciate what he's doing there. Let's move on to the next clip. So I want to bring you a clip from uh, another personality-driven show, albeit a little bit less of a a celebrity in certain circles than than Dax, who's an actor. Um, This is a show from Brian Koppelman, who is a screenwriter. He wrote the movie like Rounders and several other movies. He's now the writer and co-creator of Billions on Showtime. And he hosts a podcast called The Moment, which is about creative careers. And so I like his show and I appreciate his show, not only because of the theme, surprise, surprise, Jay likes something where creative people talk about the creative process, <laughs> hashtag three clips, but also Brian is like the thing we were just talking about with Dax, an incredible researcher. So this is from an episode where uh, he's interviewing uh, Adam Grant, the professor, the author, bestselling author about his newest book, Think Again which is sort of about rethinking your assumptions, your beliefs, your opinions, your biases in this age of polarization and extreme beliefs and unwillingness to engage the other side. And Grant has been doing this huge book tour. So there's also an added danger that Brian Koppelman's interview could just regurgitate a lot of the stuff or revisit a lot of the stuff that you've heard Adam Grant say elsewhere. But obviously he doesn't do that because that's why I wanted to pull this clip. So let's go to the clip. Well, I think everyone should read it because it does make you think a lot and rethink and but mostly it made me sad, dude. And uh, it's a lingering sadness. I've been sad for days reading the book. Really? Yeah, I have. And I'm so sorry. I, I didn't no, set out to write this book saying, how do I sink Brian Koppelman into a deep despair? No, but, um, but I think it's really, really worth talking about where you find hope. Because I don't find any in your book. And I found tremendous hope in the other books. And in talking to you, when I've spoken to you, I have found tremendous hope. But here, you, the reason I brought up Michigan, you, you, Michigan and you booed, was you, you talk in the book about the way in which we um, are tribal and lock into those tribal, uh, those tribal loyalties and how intractable it is. And you talk about, talk about the Yankees and Red Sox for a second, because I'll tell you what made me sad. But just talk about what, because I think it's a decent way to talk about the problem in a way. 
Sure. This, this to me, it's so interesting. This is one of the most hopeful studies that I've ever done from my perspective, which is I, I really wanted to study how we could get people to rethink their stereotypes and their prejudices. And it didn't seem like I was going to make a lot of progress. With- and he goes on to talk about he's not going to make a lot of progress with Democrats versus Republicans, all these other things that people believe. So why don't we go to Red Sox versus Yankees, talk about sports rivalries. And he wanted to just show that I can convince you maybe not to like the other side, but to understand where they're coming from, why they like what they like or believe what they believe and hate them less. What I love so much about this, in addition to the the drama of it, uh, a lot of interviews fall flat because there is no drama. There is no tension. And obviously, Brian Koppelman saying the book left me feeling no hope Uh, and the pauses and his careful selection of his words as he thought through his emotions and tried to articulate it to Adam Grant. Lots of drama in there. But the other reason I want to bring this up is you can see that Brian is orchestrating an experience. You can see the seams of him doing that. You know, it's like, this is how I felt. I'm going to authentically insert how I felt about something you're here to talk about. And Adam, can you, can you talk about this thing first? Cause I think for my listener and he didn't say for my listener, but for my listener, this is a good foray into the subject matter so that you, the listener understand why Brian feels the way he feels. He, he's thinking through like there, there's an intentionality of the arc of this interview. Whereas most people who interview authors or luminaries like Adam Grant, it's the same old, like, okay, so what's the book about? Why did you write it? Got an example. And it just falls flat. This is like one of the first things you hear from Brian and Adam Grant. And it, it's unbelievable. I don't know. Kristen, what did you notice? Yeah, I, I, I think this clip is amazing because we talk about arcs within an interview all the time. But something that we don't talk about is there are arcs within questions. And you can hear him building that arc within the question. Like you're saying, these pauses, this emotion, he's making, you know, he's challenging everybody to like kind of stop and listen closer. And so then by the time he gets to the actual question, by the time he's letting the guest talk, he set the audience up to listen to this guest and listen really closely. And I think that's doing a huge favor to both his guest and the audience. And we're doing that as a host, then, then you are winning on all fronts of your job. I think something else that he's doing is, you know, we talk a lot about, and you and I have talked a lot about this, knowing the premise of your show and knowing what your audience is feeling and what they want to hear and how your premise helps to give them that information. And something about this entire topic is, you know, he knows right off the bat that everybody is feeling hopeless and sad. And so instead of saying, oh my gosh, what a wonderful book that's questioning this terrible thing that's going on, making all of us feel this way, he just goes up front and says, dude, your book made me feel really sad, which is likely how his entire audience is feeling, even listening to this conversation. And he's not afraid to straight up question this creator And what's so amazing about it is that you hear the back and forth where the response isn't even like, oh, man, come on, like, that's a bad take. He just goes, well, that's an interesting way to think about it. Let's digest that. And it just sets up for such a good conversation. And I think it's the heart of what it is, is that trick of knowing your audience really, really Mm -hmm. well, knowing how they're feeling and honoring that above honoring the guest and what they want out of you as a host. I think it can be even easier than that, which is... How do I, I almost said, you got to feel your feelings, but like that, you can't ignore the fact that he feels a certain way about the book and then go about the interview as this like, great book, great Mm -hmm. author, not going to question you. 
and you can come at it from a place of humility and authenticity. I authentically felt this way. Um, and I think this is, you know, we might not actually come out and say to a guest, if we host interview shows, your projects or your company or your marketing or your <laughs> book left me hopeless. Maybe that's a touch too far. And it takes a lot of reps to get there like Brian to articulate it well and even notice it about yourself. But we can say things like, you know, Kristen, I, I think I see where you're coming from. But what's interesting to me is, is I, I felt very differently. I almost felt like on the opposite end of the spectrum, X, Y, or Z. Talk, talk about that. Like, why do you think some people react like I did to this thing you're saying? Right. And I'm yeah. not saying like, Kristen, no, you're wrong. I felt this way. So whatever you just proposed equals bad, but I am able to turn this over and examine it from other sides. And, and at the same time, performatively, creates some intrigue. So it's yeah. the tactful way of challenging, the tactful way of bringing tension into an otherwise flat experience, which is just Q&A, Q&A, Q&A. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, that's a theme I'm picking up on for both clips is mm-hmm. like both interviewers so far have brought out some tension and, and kind of messed with it in different yeah. ways. So yeah. um, in the interest of time, I want to move on to your next clip. Tell me what you have. What's the show? Why'd you go to this show? And what do we need to know to understand the clip? Okay, so this next clip is with uh, Brene Brown on her podcast, Unlocking Us. It's with Emmanuel Ocho, who runs the show Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Brene Brown is just world-renowned for her words, for her thoughtfulness, for her research, for the way she presents ideas. And this is a tough conversation that she's having because she is coming from a, you know, a white woman perspective, talking to a black man who hosts a show about uncomfortable situations about being black that were spurred in 2020, these conversations. And the way that she asks this question, I think is Uh, just a mastery of setting up an interview. Again, this comes at kind of an early point in this interview. It's a long one, but she does a lot in this clip. So I'm excited for you to hear it. All right. You take on some really tough questions in this book. You talk a lot about the power of language. You take on questions like, do we use the term black or African-American, implicit bias, white privilege, cultural appropriation, angry black men, the N-word, the N-word in music. And why do I have to not say it when my black friend's saying it and the black artist is singing it? Systemic racism, reverse racism, which is such a weird concept. I want to talk to you about a couple of these topics, but before we jump in... What has been the most difficult thing about hearing the questions? Has it been painful and hard? The most difficult and the most painful, I was doing a show with our mutual friend, Oprah, for an Oprah conversation for Apple TV. And I'm sitting there and I'm answering questions from 10 different people, just rapid fire, non-rehearsed. I don't know what they're going to ask. I don't have a prepped answer. One person chose not to be on camera, Renee, because of the question they were going to ask. Red flag. Red flag already. They said, Emmanuel, the Holocaust was both more recent and more deadly than slavery, but Jewish people have managed to recover. How come black people can't recover? Oh. Okay, so this is a this is a hefty clip. Like I almost want to walk through this 
step by step through what she's doing. First of all, she's setting up this interview and she's telling the listener, here are one, two, three, four, five, six controversial, hard conversations we are about to have. So she is telling the listener, there is a bunch of stuff you can look forward to this. Oh, well, being still in a conversation with somebody about what they do. The next thing I think that she does is she lists all of this. And then she says this, like these four words before we jump in. And that right there is like, here's everything we're going to talk about, but hold on. Cause there's something else we need to do here. And she's kind of doing it for Emmanuel as the guest of saying, we can talk about all these things you do professionally. That's great. We're going to get there. And there are emotions behind it, but also let me give you an opportunity to show your personality before we get into all this, because then the audience will connect with you better. I think it's a beautiful thing she's doing for both, again, the guests and the audience is, is she's, you know, she's relating to the guest. She's bringing out the human side, even though he's promoting something. She's saying, okay, yep. All right. We're going to talk about this, 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 this. But before we do that, tell us about you. Let's get connected. And then this tiny thing she does at the end of this clip where, you know, at the end of it, they go into this deeper conversation, but he kind of drops this bomb of a question that is like, like even Jay watching your face, listening to it. It's like, Oh, it's hard to listen to. And instead of Brene rushing to say the right thing after that, you can tell that that even caught her by surprise because she gives this pause. And then she's just like, Oh, and like that moment right there is so real. And that reaction is so real. You immediately are, Oh, this is a conversation back and forth. Not something that was pre-planned. There were two things I noticed that you, you kind of called out, but I just want to pluck them out of your answer, Kristen, and kind of hold them up to the light briefly. So one is the way she would like articulate something it's almost evocative, not of an interview host necessarily, but of, a, of someone doing voiceover, like in post, where if I want you to feel something, you know, like the inflection of my voice should match how I want you to feel. Because if I want you to feel really excited, like something's going to happen, it's going to be great, like I should speed up and I should up speak. But if I want you to just sort of like think critically just for a moment, just to the point where it's straining you, then I should slow down and I should strain, Right. Or if, you, if I want you to feel sad, I should sound sad. Yeah. And she was listing off things that could have been in her notes, but doing that in the moment, like somebody, you know, was in her ear coaching her as a voiceover artist, perhaps so, but probably not. So we don't do that enough when we ask questions. We're not mirroring the emotion or projecting is a better word. We're not projecting the emotion that we want for our listeners in that moment. We need to. The other thing is she listed off a bunch of things that sounded intriguing. You're like, wow, I can't you know, not that I'm like super upbeat and excited, but like I'm eager to hear it because it's, they're tough topics. And I really want to go into these topics with these two people. So there's, there's intrigue, there's stakes, there's, there's an open loop. And then she goes, but before we get started to your point, there's actually uh, a very common, it's become a little cliche, but I think it's effective when done well in uh, like public radio or narrative style podcasting, not interviews where they say, you know, I'm, I'm anchoring you to something away in the distance that you're excited to get to. And then they say something like, but first we have to go back. And then you, you know, you go back to the origins of the story. You go back to the history of the thing you're talking about. Like it's become this little cliche that you see across mostly public radio inspired narrative shows, but she, but it is an effective way to, to tell a story. Cause you're like, uh, you are eager to get to the end and I'm ensuring that is true. So now I can start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because you want to keep going with me instead of just launching 
from the get-go at the very beginning and going chronologically because you don't know what the stakes are. You don't know why yeah. you should care. So I think it was a really deft interview move. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, that that technique comes all the way through into this is why we put cold quotes at the beginning of our interviews. It's because we want to put some little treat for the audience that says we're going to hit this crazy conversation point, but you got to hold on through the journey first. It's It's clever. It can be overdone. Yeah, you saw me hesitate a little bit because we can see each other on screen now when you said the the pull quote or the cold open quote. Mostly it's because they're not actually usually that good and they're not yeah. actually usually that intriguing because mostly the, the guests are not actually usually talking in a story style. Like they're not they're not yeah. really giving you the intrigue without closing it. It's just like, here's a nugget. That's cool. And, it, you know, what it should be is you as a host doing that hard work. Um, so the pull quote is very common. It's also very, very hard to get right. Just like the interview is very common and very, very hard to get right. So let's have Kristen LaFrance come on the podcast and talk more about the art (laughs) of the interview. All right, let's get to the next clip. We're about to do back-to-back swishers. How about that? So we both pulled a clip. I don't know what yours was, but we both pulled a clip from uh, tech and business journalist, Kara Swisher. She hosts a podcast called Sway. And uh, that's where I, she has multiple shows. Um, I, don't tell me, Kristen, I don't know which of her shows you pulled from, but I pulled from Sway, which is her show with New York Times Opinion, uh, in which she was interviewing Stacey Abrams of Georgia fame. Again, this is an example of in avoiding flat interviews. And I also, I want to stretch this a little bit. So in the clip that you're about to hear, you the listener, we're going to cut out some of the middle, some of the answer from Stacey Abrams, because I wanted to highlight actually two questions from Kara, the first and then the follow-up. So let's go to that clip. Did you anticipate the amount of pushback from the president and others? Oh, yes. So Fair Fight, the organization we created in 2018, we spent a year and a half doing research on the just remarkable infrastructure that the GOP was building. Okay. And then we skip some of her answer, and then we get the back half. Like Brad Rassenberger, who had been very much a part of this false voter fraud narrative, he had created one of the first voter fraud task forces, which was basically, it was an attempt to intimidate voters and stop them from voting by mail, stop them from participating. You had Brian Kemp, who had spent eight years as Secretary of State, engaged in the most egregious voter suppression. The fact that the two of them actually refused to undercut their constructed election system. I think that was the surprise. And that's why the virulence of Trump's response was so epic. And Brad Raffensperger, of course, the Secretary of State of Georgia. Um, was it was a surprise to you that they did that. I, I think you were not expecting them to having tangled with them for years. So Brad has been very happy to continue the behaviors of his predecessors. Okay, so you're seeing a theme, right? There, there's been a lot of political conversations <laughs> and or politician guests. And I think it's because, you know, the point I think we're both making without maybe knowing it up front, but it's, it's coming to light now, is if they can do great interviews and use these techniques for incredibly tough, famous guests and incredibly tough topics, then your show about whatever, dissecting a podcast or retail companies, Kristen, at Shopify, uh, we can use these things too. Like we can make these things accessible, these topics we cover and also more exciting. And I think what Kara does here, she is someone, she's a journalist who will challenge her guests directly, but she presents a different form of challenging here, which I love, which was to focus on expectations and surprise. That's why I wanted to pull both of those questions. You know, it's like, were you expecting that? 
And also, did it surprise you? These are moments of intrigue. These are arcs that, that avoid a flat feeling interview. Um, you know, one of my favorite kind of like save, save my ass type questions. Uh, I, I think I learned, I actually don't know where I learned this. So if anyone listening knows where, where this came from, please tell me. If, if things are really not going well and you're really struggling to get the good stuff, one of the questions I occasionally will bust out is to say to my guest, what did you think this would be like? And what was it actually like? Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that's similar. It's like expectations subverted and or met. And even if they were met, at least when I ask that, the listener goes, huh, yeah, I wonder this now too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the surprises of it all. So we can yeah. challenge, we can create intrigue. But even in the case of someone like a Stacey Abrams and a New York Times opinion podcast like Kara Swisher's, it needn't be so sensational and grand or direct and blunt and challenging. It could just be like, did you expect this to happen? And it's instantly a gripping interview. Yeah. I mean, if you really put yourself in the listener's shoes and in almost any interview podcast, if you're listening to an interview podcast, it's because you are most likely interested in either what the guest has to say, who the guest is, or what the host has to say with the guest. And now that that second one of who actually is the guest, I want to know more about them you can go look up the timelines of what happened, you know, with all these political conversations, like we know X, Y, and Z happened. There are facts, there are news articles, but what we don't know is how Stacey Abrams thought about it or felt about it or that journey. And that's, what's so magical about podcasts is the nuance you get in conversations. And so I think it's Kara Swisher's dedication to that nuance to say, it might be a sensational headline to say, tell me about this experience but instead she's going, tell me how this experience felt. I also think something that's really clever that she's doing here is, you know, she asked, like, did you expect this and this from the Trump administration? She could have asked, like, tell me about what it was like with the Trump administration, giving Stacey Abrams the chance to kind of talk about somebody else. But she's there to talk about herself. And so instead, Kara says, did you expect this? So tell me this story, but don't don't uh, just like tell me about Trump. Tell me about your experience with Trump and the administration, yeah. which is a totally different conversation than tell me what Trump and his administration did. That's interesting. I love that. So I mentioned we're doing back-to-back Swisher clips. So which of her shows did you pull a clip from and set it up for us? Yes. Also the show Sway. Uh, This is one where she is interviewing Chani Nicholas. And I might've said her first name wrong. It's C-H-A-N-I. And uh, she is an astrologist. And so they are having a conversation about this. And again, this is Kara Swisher being just a bold badass in an interview. Yeah. But what do you say to the skeptics? I don't care. Like, you don't have to like astrology. You don't have to believe in it. Like, what do I care? Just find something that works for you and heal. Like, we're all just so broken and fractured. We just all need healing. So I just want everyone to go find the thing that works for them and use it. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like, don't harm yourself or other people, but please find things that give you joy and give your life meaning. But you understand why people feel like that they could know stuff about you and then tell you what you're like from, since there's so much information. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Like, why would this work? How, how could this be possible? But, but you know, you're marked in a certain way, I think. And of course there's mystery around it. And if there's mystery around something, then it can be really nebulous and like, Ooh, what does it mean? But actually astrology is like, look, if you have this planet, around this thing, it's going to be this. It's going to be some form of this. 
Right. So you're making an observational. Yeah. It's not me saying, oh, I think I feel this thing from you. Like, it'd be better if I didn't know who you were. Right, right. But because a lot of stuff you can find out from my Twitter feed. Yeah, you can exactly. guess. You of can course. Like very educated guesses about my personality. Of course. And so this is just like at this point affirming because if you opened my book, it would say the same thing. So it's not my personal opinion of you. It's what is happening here. Okay, but you have broken into the mainstream. Most people do believe you and, and have amassed a huge following a way few other astrologers have. You have a deal with Netflix. You write for Oprah Magazine. You read celebrity birth charts. Take me through what got you there. Well, I think I had that moment. Okay, so I love, I love this Kara Swisher move. I think this is honoring her, her audience above all else, where she is almost not afraid to offend her guest. And she says... Yeah, she gives her the opportunity to say, there are so many skeptics out there. What do you say to them? Next, I think something that she does is her guest kind of pauses. And Kara could have jumped in right there, but she says, right, right? And she just kind of leaves the space for her guest to give her more context to go deeper. And then she pushes back immediately. And she's basically like, you didn't answer my question, though. Like, you understand that people don't believe you, right? And here is X, Y, and Z, why they don't believe this. Because she knows that... These are the questions her audience is going to have. And so instead of just kind of like pandering to this guest, she's saying, all right, tell me the answer to this question. And when she kind of dodges the question, Kara goes, no, but like, I'm serious. Like what it, this is the reality. What do you do about it? And then that sets her guest up. Like, it seems like it's something that's dangerous to do to your guest, but it's actually like, it's making the guest even more successful because she's giving Shawnee this opportunity to, defend her stance before they go any deeper into it and to say like no I can stand up to my thoughts and I can stand up to my thesis and what I'm saying even if you pressure me again and again so you had mentioned like Kara's very good at kind of challenging her guests and I think it's something that more hosts could do it's not saying your guest is wrong or anything but it's it's that commitment to your audience to say I know what question they have And I know that you just didn't answer it the way that they wanted you to or the way that I think is thorough enough. I think she does that in a really interesting way because she's just like, nope, not good enough. Like, come on, dig deeper. There are three hallmarks. I mean, there are many hallmarks of a great interviewer, but I think the three, three of the most foundational hallmarks of great interviews and great interviewers are also three of the things that many, many people overlook So the first is research and prep. We don't have to belabor that. We all know most of us don't do enough of that. The second is follow-ups. I think we get too enamored with the opening question, the clever question. We don't actually pursue interestingness. We just graze over it, really uh, glaze over it rather, really quickly, and we don't go deeper. And then in this case, another one, restating and revisiting. Like, I don't know how many interviews I've tried to seek out with professional producers, journalists, and hosts who talk all the time about getting the right material from their guests. They're going shopping for ingredients to cook a great dish for you, the the audience. And they need to revisit and restate. If they don't, typically the guest is off the hook. Not that you're trying to do a gotcha journalism type of thing, but it's like, to your point, Kristen, I, I didn't get enough there. So let me try it this way. Okay, that didn't work. Let me try it this way. Okay, that didn't work. And eventually something clicks in the mind of the guest and they finally understand what you're trying to say. Or after some light challenging, they're like, let me just level with you, Kristen. It's really this, right? So you break them down a little bit, but gently, respectfully, you know, and sometimes in the case of a a Kara Swisher, more forcefully. 
Mm-hmm. So, all right, that concludes our Swisher segment. Da 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 swish. Da 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 swish. <laughs> all right, so that brings us to our sixth and final clip. This is a clip from the show Zigzag, which is on the TED Audio Collective Network. Manoush Zamarodi is the host of the TED Radio Hour. She is also the host of Zigzag, which is a podcast about rethinking business and making it more human, growing businesses without uh, sacrificing your values, which, oh my God, I love. And this is an example of Manoush examining things from all sides. She's talking in an interview to Eric Reese, who is the author of The Lean Startup. That is his claim to fame, this test and iterate model of building startup products and startup businesses, The Lean Startup. And he's started a new company and it's called the Long-Term Stock Exchange, which is to help companies go public, but not be beholden to quarterly metrics because short-termism is so bad for many, many things, the world, your team, etc. So here comes the long-term stock exchange. And in this clip, it's early in the episode where Manoush is talking to Eric about his kind of publicity tour back when he had written The Lean Startup. So as you were getting your world tour, as you mentioned, presumably you were also seeing, like you've just listed some of the more productive and constructive side of building a company, but I'm guessing that you became more and more aware of some of the more destructive, um, not so societally helpful (laughs) parts of building companies. So that's a really interesting way of framing the question. So as I went to more and more places and worked with more and more companies, you know, if you talk to any middle manager in any organization of any size, almost anywhere in the world and ask them, how's it going? What's the health of your organization? You will immediately start to hear about these antisocial problems that their organization has that have their origin in short-term thinking and short-term behavior. I mean, any of you have had a, if you have a colleague who works a middle manager in a public company, how often do they complain about the quarterly returns and the, the slavishness with which companies are run quarter to quarter, target to target, without the ability to make the long-term investments in, in the humanity of their employees? That problem is on everybody's lips. And it was actually a bit of a shock to me. Why was it a shock to you? You know, I, I was a former business reporter at Reuters, and, you know, you wait for the quarterly earnings. And um, it just, like, I did when I started as, like, a young business reporter, I didn't know any better. I was like, okay, this is how it's done. So we've talked about, you know, the last Kara Swisher clip. She said, what do you say to people who think differently than you? In this case, Manoush was inserting herself in that role. It's like, why I was this, I wasn't surprised. Why would you be surprised? That last little follow-up, I loved that. Um, The willingness to bring your own perspective, very similar to Brian Koppelman, and say, something's not aligning here, help me make sense of it. Again, welcoming the guests to do so instead of pushing them away and saying you're wrong. The other thing that Manoush does so well here is she she brings reality to somebody's well-honed story. Um, If you were to go back and listen to that whole episode, Eric starts talking about something he's talked about a million times in the press before, which is writing the lean startup and all the things that happened and all the things he saw. And she adds a dose of hard truth. Now it's easy because she knows where this is going, which as a good interviewer, you should, which is he spotted some problems and started the long-term stock exchange. So she's less interested in this glitz and glamour of the tour with the book and is more interested in what happened on that tour that led you down this path of thinking about all the short-termism in these businesses that were inviting you in to speak. Um, So she arrives at the problem and tries to agitate it and live in it for a little while, which gets you more excited to then later hear about the mechanics of the long-term stock exchange. If it was a reverse order where you're like, what do you do? What is the long-term stock exchange? Mm-hmm. You care less. 
Yep. Yep. There are two things that I, I want to point out in this. One is exactly what you were saying, that follow-up where she's like, what? You weren't shocked? I think it's her catching him in a boilerplate answer where he has probably said this line before. I did this, this, and this, and I talked to these people, and this was the result, and it shocked me, and blah, 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 blah. And I think she noticed that he was almost going into this automatic response, and she almost interrupts him. You're not shocked? Like, we got you got to explain this to me. I think that's one. So the second thing that I noticed is something that I've actually noticed with a lot of these clips that I have wanted to point out, and that is these hosts are okay with not being the smartest person in the room. And this is something that is so hard to do as a podcast host, but it's kind of our job is to say, I'm interviewing you because you are the expert in this and I am not. And that's actually okay. It becomes so much more relatable when the guest almost, or when the host almost goes out on a limb and says, okay, but this is my experience and I don't quite understand it. Can you explain it to me? Or I'm going to try to take a guess and you tell me that I'm wrong about it. Uh, It's actually one of my favorite things ever is, you know, one of the big pieces of feedback I got from season one was that my listeners love to hear me try to pull together threads and say, I've heard you say this, this, and this, and this, is this what you mean? Is this the full package? And there are times where I will give my feedback and the guest comes back to me and says, that's not quite it, but here it is. And that could be really scary for a host to have somebody, you know, say to you on a QA, and a like, actually, no, that's really wrong. And let me tell you what's right. But those are my favorite moments as a host, because I'm doing what my what my listeners are doing. And so if I'm brave enough and vulnerable enough to come out and say, I'm going to just take a take a chance here and tell you what I think. And they tell me I'm wrong. That is so much nuance that is so good for the listeners, because if you as a host don't get it, your listeners are not getting it either. So being okay with being wrong and letting your guests tell you that and then prove it right, I think is like magic sauce in podcasting. And there could be a lot more of it. Too many, too many hosts are out there trying to be the star and not the guide into the premise. And too many shows don't have a premise. That's a whole rant for another episode. But (laughs) too many hosts are not. Fulfilling the duty of a host. Kristen, you are someone who fulfills that duty wonderfully. I love how deeply (laughs) you think about the art of the interview, how much nuance you bring to conversations like this. So we're going to have to find a way to have you back for at least a third time uh, and talk about this, this craft a little bit more. Everyone go listen to Kristen's show if you're interested in retail and the retail industry. It's called Resilient Retail. It's a Shopify podcast. Check out the shows we mentioned today. And above all else, know that this is a craft. It's practice, people. So the most important thing you can do is do a lot of interviews and also reflect on your own interviews, listening to your material as you go outside and walk or wash the dishes like an athlete with with game tape. It's practice. So uh, Kristen, thanks so much for coming on. This is awesome. Yes, thanks for having me. And uh, guys, I know it's hard to listen to your own voice, trust me, but it gets easier the more you do it. So (laughs) yeah, listen to your stuff. And thank you so much for having me, Jay. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Cherie Turner with music provided by Cardboard Rocket Chip. If you'd like to support my projects, you can head over to jayaconzo.com and there you're going to find episodes of this show, episodes of my other show, Unthinkable, my public speaking, my course about growing great podcasts and uh, lots of other stuff. My book, you know, I I make projects. I make stuff for makers, y'all. That's what I do. I love doing it. And I can't do that without your support. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this show. As always, I'm your host, Jay Akunzo, and I believe 
this work you and I do, these shows that we create, yeah, they don't succeed based on who arrives. It's all about who stays. So thank you once again for staying with me, and I'll talk to you this coming Monday on a brand new episode of the show. See ya.